Hello and welcome to Tanner Talks, where we share topics of interest for our patients from physicians at Tanner Clinic. My name is Jason Hoagland, pediatrician. I will be your host for this episode. Our guest today is Dr. David Farnsworth. He specializes in family medicine at the East Layton Tanner Clinic, and he will be talking to us about aviation medicine. I'd like to welcome Dr. Dave Farnsworth. Tell us where you were born and raised. Yeah. So I was born in uh, Salt Lake City, but raised in uh, Utah County. I'm a son of a pediatrician who uh, pretty much practiced right near BYU in Provo. He was one of the founding members of Utah Valley Pediatrics and prior to that, Provo Pediatrics. Um, So grew up there and went uh, to college at BYU there for four years. Um, Served a mission in Poland for two years during that time. And then uh, went to medical school back in Washington, D.C. at Georgetown University. Um, I met my wife in my fourth year at BYU, and she came out there with me. And uh, she she went to graduate school at George Washington University. So kind of similar names. Our parents at times even got them incorrect, but I went to Georgetown. She went to George Washington, <laughs> and she's a professional painter and artist. So um, does a lot of paintings. She's got a painting in the church history museum right now. Um, but just does a lot of painting. Um, we have five kids and, uh, right out of medical school. So during medical school, I joined the air force and went to, uh, air force training, got commissioned as an officer. And, uh, out of that, out of medical school, I went to my residency at Scott air force base and St. Louis university, just in uh, the St. Louis area in Illinois. Um, We were there for three years, and then I moved overseas for seven years, where we lived in Japan and Germany and Korea. Um, And then after that time overseas, the military brought me back to the States, and we were lucky to get to Hill Air Force Base here. And so I worked in flight medicine clinic in Hill Air Force Base for uh, a couple years, and then joined Tanner Clinic um, on January 1st, 2017. So it's been six years oh, and it's been really great. Anniversary. <laughs> yes. It's my, that's fun. Just, yeah. You practice medicine all over the world. How was that practicing medicine in Japan, Korea, and Germany? So, you know, I was practicing within an air force system. So within the air force system, of course, we're mostly speaking English and practicing medicine that we're used to, but we had to re- rely upon hospitals in those countries because um, our our facilities were limited. Probably the the most capable facility we're at was either in Japan or Korea, and uh, you know, in all three of those places, we had to coordinate with hospitals off base and, and in the local communities. We, uh, my wife delivered a baby in in a German hospital, and we worked with German doctors. And, you know, if we had to admit people to the hospital, we'd refer them to various hospitals. So we, we always had translators in each of those clinics and hospitals we were at that would, um, help us coordinate with these, with these hospitals. Um, and so, uh, it was great. And we did have some patients that were foreign. So we had to learn, uh, you know, to work with various cultures and things like that, but great opportunity uh, to, to get to know those cultures. How did your family do in those countries? Oh, the family did pretty well. Um, you know, there were, there were challenges in, in Japan, there were DOD schools. So Dodia school system. So they were at, uh, 
uh, schools on Misawa Air Force Base. Um, in fact, that was our oldest was in kindergarten there and uh, went really well. We were there, um, you know, we were actually there over the earthquake and the tsunami. So oh, wow. um, if you recall that big tsunami that happened, we were on that base and the uh, Department of Defense sent home most of its employees. And so we are the, the non-military employees, actually the State Department did. And so my wife and kids went back to the States. And so my son got to spend part of his elementary school in Japan and part of his elementary school here in Utah um, while he was back here. And then we went to uh, Korea where we had to homeschool because the base there, um, just long story short, I brought them non-command sponsored, meaning we had to figure out school for them. So we homeschooled for a year. And then in Germany, they went to a, a, a multinational school in the Netherlands. So um, that was a really neat experience for them to get to know another culture and to do things in a different way. So they did great. It was a great experience. Thank you, Dr. Farnsworth. So how do you apply your military practice of medicine to your everyday practice now? How does that segue for you? Well, um, you know, there's a few unique things about the military culture. So I really like seeing military patients. Um, not that I don't like seeing non-military patients, but I understand where they're coming from because they're coming from all over. They're moving into Utah for a few years and then moving out again. Uh, sometimes they're going overseas and I'm very familiar with the process of helping people uh, try to get overseas clearances medically uh, for those moves. Um, but one thing that I, I liked I like to do because I was a flight doc for the last few years in the air force. I like to do, um, aviation medical exams. And so when I joined Tanner, um, I joined the air national guard. So I'm still a member of, of the military and, uh, but I wanted to continue to do flight examinations. So I went to some training, uh, in Oklahoma city for a week, um, to get trained on doing flight examinations. So one of the things I still do is, as I still do flight exams. So both for civilian airline pilots, for people that are just interested in doing uh, commercial things or, or going to school and flying a small plane and for uh, military members who want to do that um, uh, on the civilian side. Um, I don't do any Air Force uh, pilot evaluations outside of the Air National Guard currently. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what is an AME and what do you do in that capacity? Yeah, so an AME is an aviation medical examiner. And so we, we don't work for the FAA, but we work with the FAA. We have to be certified by them and approved to be able to do flight physicals. And so uh, basically, if you want to fly an airplane, just uh, you can't just hop in the back of an airplane and, and fly. Um, you know, if you get your driver's license they ask you questions about your health and your vision and things like that, but you don't really have to have anything other than a, a quick eye test, right? At the, yeah. at the uh, DMV. And then they let you drive once you pass your other tests, but to fly a plane, you're required to go through a more thorough medical examination because of the risks, the, the risks to people on the ground, the risks to other people in the plane. And so the FAA has broken it down into various classes of medical examinations. So there's three classes first, second, and third class. And uh, basically a first class exam is for airline pilots, for people who want to fly commercially, who are going to get paid. That's going to be their full-time job. And those are the most stringent. Um, they have different requirements for eye exams. 
uh, as they get older, they have to do some EKGs and things like that. There are restrictions on medications they can take. And if they've had certain medical conditions, they have to get those approved and evaluated to be able to fly. Second class and third class, um, some, some second class pilots will do uh, jobs within the airline industry, but typically they're not flying around um, patients, or uh, sorry, not patients, but passengers. Sometimes actually there are some flying around patients in helicopters and things like that. And then third, third class physicals are general aviation, people that want to fly um, a little Cessna kind of airplane and, and take a course. So you can switch between classes over time, but uh, yeah, the, that's kind of what we do in aviation medicine is we make sure medical standards are met. Um, we're there to make, make sure it's safe, that it's a safe process for people. Mm-hmm. So what are the goals of the FAA medical certification? So, you know, I just attended a course this past weekend. And, and one thing they said was, you know, their goal really is to help as many people fly as possible, to make it possible for people to fly. Their, their goal is not to like make it hard to fly or impossible to fly. And, and so that's one of our goals, but we want to make it safe. You know, we want um, every flight and every pilot that goes off to be well vetted physically and, and to do it safely. Um, and, uh, you know, it just like driving a semi truck or something else, we want those people to drive safely or a school bus, right? They, they require certain certifications to drive a school bus. So um, that's kind of what we're doing. Uh, some people may worry and see us as the bad guy, but we're really there. And we're also there to help the patients understand the process. Here's what you got to do if you want to fly. As a pediatrician, I do a lot of missionary physicals. And I think a lot of times the missionaries feel that the physical exam is designed to limit the places they can serve. And in reality, the missionary physical is set up to make sure that there's nothing that would keep that missionary from being able to be successful where they're serving. And the same thing I think is happening for you when you are examining pilots. Okay. Are there any disease considerations that need to be taken into account for somebody who wants to be a pilot someday? Any diseases that can be challenging for them as they pursue their dream? Yeah, there actually are quite a few. I mean, most people think initially of the the vision, which uh, in today's world, I mean, there's a lot of correctable vision deficits. And even it looks like down the road, we may be able to correct some colorblindness. Uh, there's, there's, New things on the frontier about correcting that. But, you know, when people have visual problems, most of those can be corrected to the point where people can fly because really we're just testing the best corrected vision. So we want people to come in with their glasses um, and uh, so we can see how well they can see corrected. But, you know, some of the tricky ones are um, ADHD. Um, Any doctor knows that the number of people getting diagnosed with ADHD is on the rise. And um, that can present a problem. You know, if you think about it, you know, flying requires quite a bit of things going on at once. So it's, it's task management. You can get task saturated. And so attentiveness and focus is, is of utmost importance, right? And, and so the FAA looks very heavily at, at people with a diagnosis of ADHD. So one thing that I try and encourage people to think about, if you're interested in a career in flying and you're having any issues with attentiveness or things like that, you may want to think twice about getting a diagnosis of ADHD 
and see if there are other ways you can uh, approach, you know, maximizing your ability to focus and pay attention, look at sleep and other things that, that could impact it. Um, I mean, you, you should never hide something. Um, in fact, if they find that you've hidden something that's a, a criminal offense, you should never hide something from the FAA. But, but you know, and, and you can get wavered for that. But, you know, parents of kids who are interested in flying and people who are interested in flying should just know that that's something that they don't take lightly. And so uh, a history of ADHD will require a review. Any other mental health considerations? Now, most of the time, actually, depression um, that was treated and was controlled and resolved, that's very easy to waver um, and get people back into the air usually. Um, sleep apnea, you know, sleep apnea is something that uh, people who have uh, CDLs or commercial driver's licenses are very aware of. They need to make sure that's controlled. Um, the ability to stay awake and to stay alert uh, is, is important for truck drivers and for airline pilots. In fact, uh, when they evaluate fatal airline crashes, attentiveness and sleep is a big, big factor. Um, substance uses, substance use disorders and alcohol problems, um, those, those can be an issue for the FAA. Um, and uh, one thing that they mentioned in this course is while ma medical marijuana is really on the rise and, and becoming a, a popular way to treat a lot of conditions, um, this is a federal um, organization and flying requires federal regulations. So marijuana is not an allowed substance. And so you have to be careful with CBD oil as well, which might have THC. And so, you know, that's, that's something that um, is certainly not an approved substance to fly on. So if, if anybody was taking it or is taking it for any reason they want to fly, they need to get off of it because um, it will not be allowed in the air. Um, and then there's a lot of other things, heart problems and such, but those are some that I think are worth highlighting because they can, you know, on the outside world, people think, okay, well, it's not a big deal to have a diagnosis of ADHD, but on, in the FAA, it, it really is. Yeah. It seems difficult because you'd have a lot of people that would want to take care of a problem and, you know, and I'd always you know, work hard to say, Hey, let's work on that depression, that anxiety, that ADHD to help you to do well. And then without thinking about that may have implications for somebody later on when you say, you know, my goal is to help them be their best self and do the best they can. And, you know, I, I would feel badly that, and I wonder if there's ever any conflict between somebody who says, Hey, I want to take care of this, but if I do, I might not have a chance to do my dream job. And right. it seems that would be a, a kind of a conflict. So, and you know, for depression, um, again, you can be on antidepressants and fly. It needs to be controlled. Of course, they need to see some stability and we want people to take care of depression for sure. Um, ADHD is a real tricky one. And, you know, um, I will say that, you know, there's perhaps kind of a, um, we're in a renaissance for ADHD. A lot of people are coming in concerned about it. And, you know, I love to take care of mental health problems and I love to help people in those ways. But most inattentiveness and difficulty paying attention is not by definition ADHD. In fact, that's uh, ADHD should be a rule out, right? We should be looking for other things that might affect attentiveness first, and we should address those. We want people to be able to pay attention. And if they do have ADHD, you treat it and we figure it out. Um, mm -hmm. And unfortunately, not everybody can can fly, but uh, I wouldn't want people to not get something treated. But yeah, depression and ADHD are very different. We do want people to be their best self, but I would 
you know, most pilots in the Air Force, they're looking to try and fix their problems without medicine first and with medicine second. And that's, I guess, my best advice to somebody who's looking to fly. Definitely take care of your health problems. Always take care of your health, but try and do it without medicine as much as you can. Find ways, therapists and other ways to deal with those issues. Well, that's probably great advice anyway to work on taking care of problems without having to use medication uh, to help them. What um so when you have somebody who's already a pilot, so what happens as medical conditions start to arise when someone's into a career or into a hobby? How do you work with that? Yeah, so they uh, you know there there are guidelines. In fact, the guidelines for aviation medical examiners is not it's available online. It's um, not hidden or anything like that. So if somebody's concerned, they can Google it. Um, certainly, they can come in for a consultation with an aviation medical examiner without you know, anything being on record yet until you've submitted your application to the FAA. Um, the FAA doesn't know about it yet. Now we can't, we can't lie. We can't um, hide things from the FAA, but you know, if you just want to talk with somebody and say, Hey, what are my chances or what would I need to do? You can do that. But yeah, when a condition arises um, like sleep apnea um, you know, it, it can be treated. There may be a period of time where, they would need to prove for several months that they're using their CPAP for sleep apnea, that they are symptom-free before they can fly. Or for medicines, each medicine has a period where a pilot is downed or grounded. So let's say they need to start a blood pressure medicine. Uh, They've got new blood pressure. Well, that's fine. You just will have a period of time where you're going to start that medicine and you're going to be down and you're not going to fly for a while. The, the airlines each have uh, uh, physicians that, that work on their boards that, where they can talk with the physician and let them know that. But even a commercial pilot, they should know that if they're taking a new medicine, they can look in the guide or consult an AME and find out that, okay, for, for the next week or 48 hours, I can't fly while taking this medicine. And then they'll need to, uh, if it's a long-term medicine, notify the FAA um, so that we can make sure they're cleared. Well, it's definitely you know, it, a hard. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, go ahead. No, it's definitely a hard spot to be in because yeah. you know, I, I, you know, for me, it's it's always hard even having a conversation about limiting somebody's driving privileges. And I'm working out these excited teenagers ready to start driving at 16, and I can only imagine the the, the challenge it is to um, to to help someone stay healthy, but also work on sometimes some limitations to their career. So it takes a lot of courage to be in that place for sure. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I admire the fact that it is challenging. You mentioned kind of sometimes there's a conflict of interest. The patient wants to have better health. We all want to have better health. And yet they're conflicted because they also don't want to not do their passion or, or their job, right? And again, my job is I, I really try to uh, prevent somebody from never being able to fly again. I want them to get back up and fly. <clears throat> um, just uh, several months ago, I had a, a patient come in and we found that he had a heart arrhythmia. And so it took several months to get it corrected and fixed and on the right medicines, but he was able to, and it was his job to fly. He was able to get back to his job flying. And the airlines are pretty understanding too. Most of them will have uh, programs where while somebody's getting it taken care of, they're still getting paid, right? They're still an employee. They're, they're not, they're not immediately axed by the, by the airline. So, you know, I, I don't think, uh, I understand there's a worry there, certainly take care of your health, but, um, yeah, I, it's not, um, 
it's not always as doomsday-ish as it may sound. <clears throat> well, you brought up a really good point, and it made me think for a minute about how important it is for you to have your pilots that were their, their career to help focus a lot on prevention and lifestyle management and maintenance. And so, so does that take on extra special meaning for you as in, in terms of keeping your pilots healthy and, and doing more prevention care for them? Absolutely. Um, yeah. If, if you notice most pilots are in pretty good shape. Yes. They have that pilot look where you can say that person really looks like a pilot. That's because it really is a job requirement for them, you know, to take care of their body. And so, yeah, if, you know, I tell patients all the time, the cheapest way to manage your healthcare is to exercise daily and eat healthy. That's the cheapest way, you know, um, medications and certainly hospital visits and surgeries and procedures are far more expensive than a gym membership or mm -hmm. eating healthy. Um, and prevention, treating the high blood pressure is far cheaper than treating the results of untreated high blood pressure, right? Or treating mm -hmm. diabetes, much cheaper than treating the, the results of not treating diabetes. So um, from a cheapness standpoint, if you're cheap, you're going to exercise every day. But yeah, if you want to fly, you really want it. You got to commit to exercise. That's got to be a commitment pretty much on a daily or, or regularly throughout the week basis. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I always say that prevention is way less expensive and less painful than having to fix problems. I, I haven't asked you, do you fly? Are you a pilot as well? You know, I don't. I took uh, all flight docs within the Air Force take a few hours of flight training. So uh -huh. I went out to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio um, and got several hours, did, did some fun flights, acrobatic flights. Um, one of the highlights of my Air Force career was I got to fly in the backseat of an F-16, which was really cool. But um, I fly with the Air National Guard on the KC-135, the refuelers. Um, every month I go on a flight with them, but I don't I don't operate the plane. So many AMEs do actually fly. Um, and uh, uh, my wife has said she doesn't want me to fly. So I'm, I'm an obedient husband. So <laughs> <laughs> it says a lot for you, for sure. So. Well, are there any kind of last comments, Dr. Farnsworth, you wanted to share or any last thoughts on flight medicine? Well, um, yeah, you know, I, I think, it, you know, I think uh, aviation medicine is a great career. I get to know a lot of pilots. Um, I'm friends with a lot of pilots, great people, really sharp, bright people. Um, I've never met a pilot who regrets their decision to fly. And certainly it has Definitely. If I had to do a second career that if I, if I could, my wife let me and I had the time I would do, I would be a pilot. Um, but no, yeah, I think prevention, just being cautious, kind of keeping that in mind, uh, being aware of things, uh, looking through the guide, uh, come talk to me sometime or another AME. If you have any questions, even allergy medicines like Claritin, um, Claritin's okay, but Zyrtec is a big no-no for pilots. You can't fly with Zyrtec. Benadryl is a big no-no, but Claritin Allegra, because they don't cross the blood brain barrier, they're too big. They're okay um, to fly with, but, but uh, you know, 10% of all aviation fatalities, the pilot has Benadryl on board. So we can definitely do a better wow. job kind of informing people of, of medicines and their risks, but great talking to you. Thank you. Well, thanks for keeping our, our pilots healthy and safe and keeping the airways safe. So we sure appreciate you. Thanks, Jason. Dr. Hogan, I appreciate you. <laughs> you bet. Thank you for joining us. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Tanner Talks. 
We look forward to getting together again next time. We want to thank Tara Cooper and Doug Larson who helped in the production of this podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast, while carefully considered, are ultimately the opinions of the presenters and not necessarily of Tanner Clinic. And remember, the content of this podcast shouldn't be seen as a substitute for seeking actual personal medical care. If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911. Otherwise, schedule a visit with a caring doctor to help with your medical needs.